Warm-ups, not really, but when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. I care to expand on that. Gosh, woke up feeling real dangerous. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Kami Amurabi, and you, next to me is my co-host, Jack Shields. You guys can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Google Podcasts, anywhere you can find a podcast app. Go ahead and, you know, go to the podcast app and give us that five-star review. We appreciate it. We're at 70 right now. Yeah. So, I mean... Keep it going. It's it's Christmas time. Get in the Christmas spirit. Give us five-star review. It's just the nice thing to do. It's all we're asking for. Not a hippopotamus. Just a five-star review. Pretty simple. But, man, it, Jack, it's, it's Wednesday. Feels like a Thursday. It does. It, it does. And by the time people are listening to this, they'll be like, well, it's because it is Thursday. Uh, but how's your week so far? Oh, not too shabby. Obviously, coming off the high of that win... Um, Dallas was really fun, really fun actually. Even though it was an 11 a.m. game, where it will never not be an 11 a.m. game, I'm convinced. I don't. I mean, I guess the ACC is pretty much entrenched into that prime time slot, as is the Big Ten game. I don't see any way that this is never going to be the 11 a.m. game because the SEC is always going to be the midday game. Mm-hmm. So this is just sort of the ritual that we have to become accustomed to sort of like the 11 a.m. OU Texas. Yep. We just have to live with this. But once you get acclimated to it, you know the routine. You know when you need to start drinking. You mm-hmm. know when you need to start preparing food and all of that stuff for the tailgate. And at this point, this is our third go-round. Goes off without a hitch. Real good time. Yeah, I, I started drinking as soon as I got to the stadium, which was roughly about 10 a.m. You only got you got there at 10? Yeah, I got there at 10. We were in the parking lot at like 7.30. <laughs> It was Man, cold, dude. I went, I went with my father, so like... I went with my father. <laughs> your dad's really cooler than my dad. <laughs> my dad also doesn't drink. He doesn't tailgate. Oh, you know? okay. Well, then that would be it. My dad's a Muslim, man. He doesn't do uh. that, except he eats pork and everything else. But drinking... See, okay, now that's strange. <laughs> He's not a good Muslim, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's good at some things and There's not at other things. No gambling man. allowed in that religion, and he's he's like betting on horses and we're going to vegas for the super bowl so you tell me uh but <laughs> it's a weird dynamic going on but hey i, I appreciate whatever it. works for him yeah it, but yeah it, it it has been a good week you know um and thinking about the game and my dad when my dad gets when i, when I get angry i get pretty quiet regarding like f- football games in general at a moment i'll just stop and just just like let this like situation happen to me and try to understand the bigger picture of life. Whereas, then uh, I'll be pretty quiet, but I'll be still pretty pissed off at a loss or something like that. My dad, this man, will just violently say things and get really angry at the coaches and, of course, Jalen Hurts and the quarterback, whoever's at the helm. And I was not looking forward to a two-and-a-half-hour drive with that same man because I've seen how angry he was uh, at losses at home against Iowa State with Baker Mayfield and. That was supposed to be a 30-minute drive, and that was the worst. So a three-hour drive probably is not the best feeling, but it worked out in Oklahoma's favor. They win 30-23 to 23 in overtime, and I kept my sticky note of the score. I had OU 31, Baylor 27, so not too far off. I had 31-24, is that it? Oh, man, I think you did. I think so, yeah. So, hey. I, I was, oof. 
Good job on us. Not too bad. We understood that it was going to be a lower scoring game. That's right. We both took the under and we both took Baylor covering. It should have ended in regulation. It should have. When OU got that 10 point lead, like in the fourth quarter, it should have been done. But of course, uh, it seems like fate intervened. But let's talk about the game in general. OU dominated with the exception of like three plays. Exactly. It was basically three big chunk plays. Other than that, OU allowed like 50 something yards. I mean, it Mm -hmm. it was crazy. With the exception of like three big plays, uh, all from their third-string freshman quarterback who ran scout team quarterback and wide receiver, by the way, uh, Zeno. I think it's Jacob Zeno. Yeah, four-star player. I mean, he was yeah, a he's good. decent recruit, yeah. but uh, He can spin it. Uh, with the exception of those big plays, Oklahoma killed them all day. They had like 22 plays in which they gained yardage. That's insane. Yeah, and, they ha- and it, it's just unreal to me. And... Buki had another one of his moments where he runs into a guy and him and the guy he runs into both are concussed and out for the game. Except this time it was Charlie Brewer, not a tight end across the middle. It's very interesting. And I guess, yeah, it was that Murray play where, I mean, yeah. it was really apparent oh, yeah. where he was concussed, Man, obviously. Kenneth Murray, talk about a freaking animal. I mean, all over the field again, just like he was against Texas. Just it's, Th- this was the defense's best game of the season, even better than the game against yeah. Texas, mm-hmm. even better than the first half against Texas. It was yeah. incredible. And Jalen Redmond's coming out party again. He's finally the guy who he was supposed to be. Obviously, he's you know had his uh, setbacks and stuff like that and along the way. And talk about how he had his shoulder pop out of yeah. place several times during the game and still played like that. Hard Are ass. You kidding me? And it's I hate to say this, but. Kenneth Mann's injury, which is... You yeah, know, you said this a few times it, and it's valid. It's not great. You know, you, you don't like to say that. Kenneth, Mer- Kenneth, Kenneth Mann is a former team captain from last year, and he's a, he's a, he's a steady presence in that on that defensive front. But when Kenneth Mann came in, it made Jalen Redmond a little less effective because you saw less snaps from him. And then he comes out against this Baylor front, him, Ronnie Perkins, uh, they're just wreaking havoc and even nick benito him redmond and nick benito running twists on and stunts on each other like oh my god like hook that into my veins that just was it was sexy believable to me so OU dominated on defense even in like i watched that overtime on youtube on the drive back home so many times because they just ran after that quarterback they pinned their ears back and baylor had no shot they had no shot in overtime because this time you didn't have 75 yards to defend. You had 20, and there was no way in hell you were going to give that up. And it's just, just you, what, what can you say but other than that was what you want from Alex Grinch? And, and, that, and that's year one, Alex Grinch? God. I had no clue it was going to be this good after one year. I, I didn't expect that at all. You gotta check, oh, I got to check the defensive S&P ratings they just, that just came out. Because last time I checked, OU was 41. Uh, they just might be in the 30s again. Who knows? But, you know, Jalen... Red, uh, not Jalen Redmond, Jalen Hurts, we said, hey, if he doesn't turn the ball over, this game's going to be a double-digit game. Well, Jalen, well, he fumbled He fumbled the ball, right? Yeah. And then he, right before the half, he just throws it right to the Baylor defender. And then it's a, it's a 13-10 to 10 halftime lead for Baylor. And it's just After like, OU had dominated the yeah. half. And it's, you're, you're just left there stunned. And after a couple of those jump balls, I don't even know who the second quarterback is for Baylor, the guy that didn't pass the ball. By the way, Oklahoma is now 36th in defensive SP+. God bless. 
They come from 83rd last year to 36th. That's not a two-year improvement. That's one year into the system. One year into the system, and they're already nearly top 30? Alex Grinch is a wizard. Holy crap. Like, by the way, his DMs are open. I thought about sending him another message saying, I love you. I, I did that when he first got hired. I was like, I love you. Thank you. And then I just want, I just want to send him a follow-up and be like, thanks again. Love you. Have, Merry Christmas. But it's just like 83rd to 36th. I said maybe if there's 60-ish marginal With largely the same personnel, with, by the way. Yeah, with pretty much the same personnel. And you go, I thought maybe marginal improvement. The the top su- sixty, top fifty. Yeah, the sum of the parts are better than the specific parts, and that'll get them to about sixty ish. And you're talking, they are in the top forty. They're thirty six in you know mid thirties. Like that's un- that's unbelievable. And it just shows you a they have the players. B, it was a lot of mindset that Alex Grinch is saying they're still coaching out of him. C, Alex Grinch was fourth. He fell on his own sword after the game and was like. Some of those bad plays that they gave up were because of him. He told the defense to do this. Like, for example, that long play toward the end of the game that scared a lot of OU fans, me included. I was like, oh, we're really about to lose this game to a a, a Zeno long pass was because they were about to throw a screen and the guy bit. And, of course, it was a, it was a stop and go. And everybody bit on the screen and left the guy on the on the on the boundary wide open and Trey Brown just chases him down and Alex Grinch is like he's like you, you hate to say it but the the players come back to the huddle and they're like coach like what the hell and he says it sucks to admit like he got it wrong cuz the players uh, like they played an excellent game and it you just it, you just love it you love it so much and it gives you a lot of hope for next year um Baylor defense, in regard it in regarding the game against Wake in Waco, it seemed like this Baylor defense was already physical in Waco. It seemed like they were super physical. The pass rush was even better. Like James Lynch by a lot. James Lynch was already good. We he was know, incredible. We he was, he was even better this time. Though. We already knew he was good, and that defensive line was just incredible. And that was really a dogfight in the middle. Like that. Like coming into the game, we knew it would be a dogfight. I just was not aware how much of a struggle it would be. Because, like, oh, yeah, oh, you laid on them on the second half in Waco, and there was none of that happening in Jerry World. Nope. They were fighting tooth and nail to to do all of that. Jalen, I believe he only rushed for 36 yards. Yeah, that's impressive. Some of that was obviously sacks. I don't think that was net yeah. yardage or whatever. But but just just very impressive. And I was so glad they brought Ramondre Stevenson in because he's a more able back to navigate through that Baylor defense. And he can get you more chunk yardage as well, so that was helpful. He, because Kennedy Brooks, great running back. He's not the same style running back as Ramondre Stevenson. Ramondre reminds me of uh, Damian Williams in his way he can cut and use his body. He tried to jump over a safety, and that didn't work out very well for him. (laughs) But he's just a very good back, and uh, he's going to be another great asset for next year. And uh, Ely got hurt, I thought, during the game, because I wasn't really looking at Twitter. I thought just Ely was getting whipped up front. I thought they just replaced him with Swenson. I didn't know Ely got hurt. So I, I didn't was, either, yeah. So I was like, oh, wow, Be- Beatenbo is not messing around right now. 
And you find out later, oh, Ely got hurt during the game. During, during a field goal, he got hurt during a field goal. And it was just a battle the entire game, chess match. Um, what, I mean, what else do you expect from a Matt Rule team? They were 1-11 two years before that, and they were 7-6 and six the year before. Just gritty guys. And talking about the testament to what Rule does, but first of all, let's talk about CeeDee Lamb. I love that he finally had his coming out party once again after you know missing the first Baylor game and then not getting many targets the last two games. Obviously, he was frustrated. Player of the game. I, I loved that for him. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic and let him winning the game MVP and all that stuff. I mean, you had without to, a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but uh, he uh, yeah, he got pretty close on that first one mm-hmm. though. I, I mean, thought he was gonna get it. I, I thought he was. I was, too- I was on that sideline. I was like, man, he he kind of. Slowed up a little yeah. bit right at the end there, but I mean, it, it was a deal where he had just juked a guy, and I mean, obviously his momentum wasn't carrying him forward as quickly anymore. So he had a convoy, and you could see him looking around, slowing up, and that's when he got tackled. Now I was yeah. just hoping it wasn't a Texas situation last year where he gets <sighs> stripped from behind. Yes. So I was just glad he went down with the ball, and just man, he takes the pass, whips around, and he he goes to the sideline, and he looks to his right. And he sizes up the defenders, looking, chasing them down. And he just takes off, does a couple moves. And it's just like, how can you? Because him and the guy from LSU are the ones that you're looking for for the Bolitnikoff. Now, because of Oklahoma's quarterback situation, CD doesn't have as many numbers. He doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have as many touchdowns. But man, the guy is just elite. He's probably the best sooner wide receiver you've ever seen. He, he's the goat in for me. History. Yeah, absolutely. He's so complete. And I mean, if you view these wide receivers and you're at the Blitnikoff committee and you're watching just these receivers, to me, you give it to CeeDee Lamb. I'm not and this is not this is without crimson colored glasses. This is saying you look at what he's done this year and when he's been called upon. Not just because he doesn't have as many numbers because of his quarterback. If OU had a Baker Mayfield or a Joe Burrow or even a Spencer Sanders that just would sling the ball or a uh, Brock Purdy or whatever his name is, um, he wins this award running away right now. But because Jalen Hurts has been carrying the ball however many times a game, you haven't given him, giving him chances to flash his ability. So I think his ability super outweighs everything else. He's the best player on that Oklahoma offense. Absolutely. Unfortunately, what we mentioned with the numbers, there it's pro- it's stacked against him. It's probably going to be Chase winning this award. Yeah, unfortunately. And something that I thought was hilarious that Eric Bailey uh, tweeted about because he talked to Pat Fields after the game, which I was screaming, laughing at this tweet. The because, whole stadium was. Oh, were were yeah, the we were Baylor right. people screaming too, or were they just being whiny? Or I think something? that Baylor fans thought it was going to be a personal foul without realizing the rules of football. Yeah, it's considered part of the uniform. But so now that Jack said that, you guys know what we're about to talk about, which is Eric Bailey tweets Pat. He says Pat Fields was asked about his hair tackle against Baylor, and Pat Fields says, "I feel bad because I have dreads." I was just trying to get him on the ground by any means necessary, which is the most Grinch thing ever. I was trying to grab his jersey, and I was like, yo, this is his hair. And I screamed wherever I was reading that. That has to be so fucking painful. (laughs) I... I, 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 it, it makes me cringe just thinking about it again. I just remember the entire state. I just remember my section of the stadium because 
we are we, i mean there's OE fans everywhere but it right above us in the suites because we were in club level but right above us from the suites there were baylor fans angry as hell and all the OU fans were giggling laughing like i was snickering but just like seeing pat fields be like yo this is his hair i was yell laughing at this like you gotta imagine <laughs> you think you have the guy's jersey and you're like this is his hair. That was one of the most fierce hair tackles I've ever seen. Can you imagine too. if he comes up and he he's holding a dreadlock in his hand? <laughs> he didn't you... rip it out, though, did he? <laughs> no, he didn't. Could you imagine? That would probably have been better if he had ripped it out, honestly, uh, from a pain perspective, just geez. because it would be over. But instead, it was just lingering. And Yikes, he was just man. hanging on like, holy hell. So funny. But, yeah, the Sooners, they played really well against... Charlie Brewer and uh, the I don't know the second quarterback's name through lame ducks. Those things were like when I think they were completions because they were lame ducks almost. Like one of them was at least. Remember in it was in a jackpot that we used to play as kids. You used to take a football and be like, all right, five hundred points, and you would toss that crap as high in the air as possible and see who could catch it. That's that guy's exact throwing style and. Just like I don't know what was what was up with the OU defense, it was pretty much a ball for anybody. And he, any time he threw the ball, and the Baylor guy just came down with it. And then Zeno comes in, and you're like, oh, third string quarterback. This guy's gonna do nothing. First play, he gets sacked. And you're like, all right, this is gonna be game over. Next play, seventy yard touchdown. You're like, oh my goodness. And what was your reaction to that massive touchdown play after? He just immediately got sacked. It was, oh shit, Oklahoma is playing so well right now, has the game in hand, and just on this one play, one breakdown, the defense had been so great up to this point, and now this is a game for no damn reason. Yeah, and didn't you feel I, like, I, I had a horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach, didn't thinking you feel, somehow they're going to blow this. Didn't you feel that if, as long as Oklahoma had a two-score lead, you felt pretty comfortable? I did, because the defense was playing so well. And, then, and Baylor had no answer on offense. In Oklahoma, they just couldn't get that touchdown to make it a two-touchdown lead. It was always 10 points. That would make you so uncomfortable during the game. And that was that was just the issue. But, you know, it goes into overtime. Even though Oklahoma has a good chance, they throw that, that you know, rollout to CeeDee Lamb. Oklahoma gets at the 45-yard line. You're thinking, man, if they can just get 20 more yards, they got a good shot. And they go, like, what, third and three? And I'm thinking, please just run the ball twice. Your defense has shown the ability just to murk this Baylor offense. Yes. Just run the ball twice, and let's give this another go. And Lincoln Riley decides to pass the ball, and it was a deep slant to CD, and um, it was a low ball, but it was only where CD could catch it, and CD just couldn't haul it in. Otherwise, Oklahoma gets the ball first and 10 near like the, the 25 or 20-yard line, but... Let's talk about overtime, man. Of course, I was I was thinking a thing of beauty. Yeah, I was just from hoping, beginning to end. I was like, please let Oklahoma win the toss. Please let Oklahoma win the toss. And Baylor, Baylor wins the toss. And of course, Oklahoma gets to pick though, where they're gonna play offense first. And it's not anywhere near the Baylor band, not anywhere near the Baylor fan base, which I was fine with. And uh, Oklahoma goes on offense first, and got the face mask on CeeDee Lamb. There were four flags thrown on that play. It was a very emphatic (laughs) face mask. And and that Baylor defender knew he messed up. He was on the ground, on one knee, grabbing his face mask. He knew he done goofed. The next play is a Jalen Hurts uh, draw. He gets about five, six yards. Both arms on the ball. 
thank the Lord he decided to protect the ball. Next thing up is Ramondre Stevenson maneuvers through traffic for easy touchdown. Then after that, you have the OU crowd right in it. Oh, yeah. I, I can't tell you how impressed I was with the OU contingent during OU's defensive possession in overtime. Oh, yeah. Everybody's standing on so their feet. So loud. Screaming. Uh, between third and fourth down, I think, uh, I forgot what came on, but I mean, the whole OU contingent, probably, it was a 65,000 person crowd. I bet mm-hmm. 45,000 were OU fans, maybe more. Yeah. All jumping up and down, kind of like, uh, it wasn't House of Pain playing, it was something else, but everyone was jumping up and down. It was really... It was pretty special, honestly, but uh, that made a huge difference too. Yeah. But then, obviously, uh, the pass rush for Oklahoma—I oh mean, was just it, just unstoppable. Because the first the first down, they threw an incomplete pass, and it was well defended. Second down, again, they threw another incomplete pass toward the sideline. Once again, very well defended. Third down, the man gets sacked by Jalen Redmond, and it's like okay, and he got blown up by Jalen Redmond. And then you're like, all right, and this is it. Fourth and 14. There's no way. There's no way in hell this is going to happen after what we've just seen. And again, that pass rush stunts, twists, and they get to the man again with a four-man rush. They lay him out on his back, and he has just to throw up a prayer, which gets nowhere near the first down marker. And Caleb Kelly almost actually comes with that. That would have been pretty sweet if he had come up with that. He just kind of like he really just kind of bats it down. He just doesn't care. And that's the end of the game. And it was really nice to turn around because the Baylor fans, the few that were there, I mean, like I like I said, I was in the club seats, and there are these just unruly Baylor fans. Just kind of annoying. Not really. They weren't, Not really rude or anything. They but weren't like, rude. They were just like these really just like outlandish, over-the-top Baylor fans. It's like they were tech fans that had been around there, just like nasty dudes that like just say ungodly things. They, they were just like annoying. You just wanted them like to have their nap or something like that. It's like, it's like they had two Mountain Dews or something. Their contingent for most of the game was more juiced than Oklahoma's contingent. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, like, OU, I mean it, it's an 11 a.m. game. OU expected to win. They were kind of, you know... You can't blame them though. Like, of course not. That's the first. That's the first time they've been like in a Big Twelve title game. Of course, yeah, it's a much bigger deal for Baylor. I mean, it was it was their Super Bowl essentially. And if they win, they're in the College Football Playoff. That that this was yeah. a battle for the College Football Playoff, and it showed. And it was a defensive battle. And then, you know, Jim Mora Jr. or whatever will tell you that you know. Jalen Hurts is leading the team to a victory. Like you've got to be kidding me. The worst you've is after the game, where he sort of tries to overcorrect himself and saying, "Well, Jalen Hurts is the best of the college football playoff quarterbacks." Are is there just like a setting that you're on that just makes you wrong about every goddamn thing? It's just like what the hell? Is I mean, going how can on? you can't with Burrow, uh, Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Fields? He's the fourth best quarterback out of those four. He is. He is. It's unreal. I love Jalen, but it's true. It's true. But it's just. Man, it was just nice to turn around to these Baylor fans after the game, after that fourth down, and be like, thanks for coming, y'all. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming to the ceremony of the fifth straight win. You know, that's fantastic. And after the game, Coach Rule gives a lot of kudos to Lincoln Riley. He gives a lot of kudos to the OU football players and staff. And what I really respected, and just things that make you love Coach Rule even more, is that Kenneth Murray got hurt during the middle of the game. And, of course, Kenneth Murray is what makes the defense tick right now. Next year might have to be a different linebacker. Uh, but he's what makes the defense tick right now. And he got hurt, and, and uh, the uh, the collective Sooner fans and Sooner Nation's hearts stopped and said, no, no, please don't, please don't. 
and um, Coach Rule goes over to Lincoln Riley and asks him if if uh, Kenneth Murray's all right. He's like, hey, is he is he okay? And then uh, Lincoln says, oh, yeah, he's good. And then, like, Coach Rule's like, oh, good, great. You know, he's that type of guy that's like, this man is whipping our ass on offense. And he's like, hey, is he good? Is he all right? Like, Tom Herman doesn't do that. He makes fun of hurt Missouri quarterbacks. And you have Matt Rule over here who is like, man, is your best defensive player that's whooping our ass? Is he okay? Like, you'd be ashamed to see him go down because he's a special player. And then after the game saying, you know what, we're rooting for the Sooners. This is a really tough league and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's exactly what, I mean, he's a class And then right after the game, he goes to Riley and says, hey, win it. Win it all. And I'm like, oh, my God. I love you so much. There is so much to hate about Baylor and that university and that fan base. There is absolutely nothing to hate about Matt Rule. When we go to Big 12 Media Days. Or the hire of Matt Rule. When we go to Big 12 Media Days, I'm going to hug him. I'm going to get escorted out. I want to I want to wear his green jacket. <laughs> or his, that smock. We rode the elevator with yeah, him one time. And, I mean, I felt like... I, I should, mean, should have preemptively hugged him. Of course. I would have gotten accosted and probably thrown out. But it Joel Platt was there, too. So, I mean, was. he would give you a smirk. Yeah, he probably would. You know, but... Anyways, guys, we have a break for our sponsors. Before we leave for our break, uh, right after we're joined by Billy Gamilla from And the Valley Shook, which is a awesome name. Way by better the way. than our name. Come on, like, And the Valley Shook, so cool. No disrespect to the people who founded this of site, course, but the name is course. not good. But uh, yeah, we talked about that <laughs> before this. But we're joined by Billy Gamilla from And the Valley Shook. We're going to talk a lot of recruiting. A lot of defensive recruiting. I think a lot of you guys will like this. And there's some other things going on in the college football world, but here's to a break. All right, guys, today we're joined by Billy Gamilla from And the Valley Shook, which is a really awesome name, by the way, for SB Nation's LSU Tiger affiliate. Man, like, it makes me think about Crimson and Cream Machine. We have a horrible blog name. It's and, terrible. And how cool And the Valley Shook is. But, hey, Billy, thanks for coming I'll on with us. here. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good, good, to, good to talk playoffs for once. Never got to really do that before. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, let's get the ball rolling here. You know, while LSU's offense, it's been dominant throughout the season, obviously. The defense, it hasn't always been up to the level of what we've seen in years past. But having said that, the unit's recent performances have been pretty impressive. So what were the unit's weaknesses early on, and how has Dave Aranda's defense been able to right the ship recently? Well, early on, you just saw – Frankly, just some veteran players just not playing really well. A lot of missed tackles. You know, like the, the Vanderbilt game kind of came down to just some really bad tackles and some bad run fits, giving up a couple of of uh, big runs to their running back. And, and then some guys were banged up a little bit. You know, and some of it was just some of the better offensive teams like Florida that that had that kind of you know Dave Aranda's kind of had some trouble with Dan Mullen's offense in the last couple of years, and so. They gave up some yards there, but it was one of those things where the, the narrative as to how bad they were kind of just got this own crazy life to it, and then the old Miss game happened, and that was really the first game where a team really, really ran all over LSU, but it was also a situation where it all started happening after LSU was up, I think, 31-3. to So it was like, I don't know if you would – quite call that garbage time, especially because it was the second quarter, but for a, a game that was basically completely out of reach, they ripped off a couple of long runs, and suddenly it, it became, oh my god, this team can't stop anybody. It's like, well, they, they kind of could stop some people there still, yeah, I think. That sounds familiar. They never dropped out the top. 
Well, they never <laughs> dropped out the top 30 in SP and SP plus. So it was yep. like, okay, I know this isn't, you know, a dominant unit, but they're not like, you know, I mean, you know, not to pick on y'all, but it, it's not like, you know, I, I did see some, I think Stuart Mandel compared, compared us to, you know, the unit you guys had last year. And it's like, you no, know, y'all were like out of the top 100 on defense. We're not even close to being that bad. We're just down a little bit. And then I think some guys got healthy and then frankly, A&M and, and Georgia were just better matchups that neither team has a great quarterback. They're both kind of more pro style offenses. They don't live on getting matchups on nickel players and, and safeties and linebackers with receivers. They just kind of keep it straight and, LSU kind of matches them a lot better with that. They the safeties are like Grant Delpit and and uh, Jacoby Stevens are much better when they can just roll them down the box, let them play the run, let them kind of just rob passing lanes and not have to man to man cover as much. And like I said, it was just a, a, a better matchup, and, and we saw that that bear fruit. So speaking of the defense, which names other than Jacob Phillips should OU fans familiarize themselves with in the coming weeks? <laughs> Well, yeah, Jacob Phillips for sure, obviously, because you guys have that history with him. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of history there, and I bet the LSU folks <laughs> know the history too. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, obviously the cornerbacks get Derek Stingley, who I think was, was pro football focuses, freshman of the year, mm. uh, had the two picks against Georgia in the SEC championship. He was the number one cornerback ever according to you know the 247 composite rankings and honestly he's played that way he's he's been pretty much aces all year all year long he's got six interceptions he he, i think leads the sec in pass breakups and on the other side of him christian fulton doesn't have the numbers because teams just stop throwing at him uh so you know it's really good set of corners up front tyler shelvin the big nose tackle uh he was the famous player that uh Ed Ogeron told to, to start eating gumbo without rice to lose weight, and uh, a couple years ago, <laughs> Jeez. and he's really come on. He's been playing playing some big time football, gumming up the run in the middle. Uh, Caleb on Chason outside at that outside linebacker, kind of that edge rusher, doesn't have a lot of sacks, but he's a really fundamentally sound player who who helps set the edge. He's been really good at containing quarterbacks as of late, so he'll probably play a big role in this game as trying to keep. Uh, Jalen Hurts from getting upfield as much. You know, switching over to offense, other than obviously benefiting some from much-needed scheme adjustments, how has Joe Burrow improved as a QB from last year to this year? Well, you started seeing signs of it late last year. You know, he really carved up those last couple of teams, and those were some bad defenses, but it was one of those things where was like, yeah, but he wasn't car- even carving up bad defenses earlier in the year. Um, he always had kind of those intangibles. You could see that really quickly that, okay, this guy doesn't make stupid mistakes. He doesn't put the ball up for grabs. He'll, he'll eat a sack when he has to, he'll throw it away when he has to, you just didn't see him just make a lot of throws. And that started to kind of get better over the course of the year. So I felt pretty good that he would be better and improved and do a good job this year. I certainly didn't see him doing this. You know, I kind of wrote, it's like, over the summer that he's got the intangibles. We just need to see the actual tangibles. And then the first week came and I think he was something like 23 of 26 or something like he completed 80% of his passes. And I was like, well, that's awesome, but that's Georgia Southern. He's not going to do that every week. And damned if he didn't just about do it every week. (laughs) 
you know, the, the biggest thing is he, he raises his game at the big moments. Every time LSU's needed to answer a touchdown, they've gone out and done it. He's been much, much better throwing the ball down the field with touch. That was not something he did great last year. He's always kind of thrown that back shoulder fade really well. And he could, you know, you could see him throw those slants and crossing routes really, really well. But this year, he's just been in, com- in command. He makes the right decision just about every time. So you would say him not being in New York for the Heisman would not be a surprise preseason, but now it's just like his completion percentage is like what seventy eight percent isn't like yeah that's beyond I never saw him being a Heisman candidate like that was that's beyond like Baker Mayfield efficiency esque and like that's, that's amazing to me like I, yeah. it's amazing that like LSU because I've always said this for like the longest time. They've been a decent to pretty good quarterback away from being a very, very, very prominent power in college football. And for some reason, I mean, y'all down there in Baton Rouge haven't really found one until just now who was a transfer from Ohio State. Hey, don't don't get another transfer quarterback. That stuff uh, sticks on you like a <laughs> stink on a, on a skunk, apparently. Lincoln Riley knows well, that best. And the last one before him was Zach Mettenberger, who was a transfer as well. And it, it's it's kind of, you know, the irony of that year was was he was the best quarterback we'd had in a few years, and that was the year the defense kind of fell apart. <laughs> yeah, stop. You know, well, the Eric King, he's on the market, man. So uh, just, just throw that up there. there. Yeah. <laughs> there, is, there are some rumors that, that LSU may, may try and pursue him. I mean, they, they've got a guy kind of in the pipeline – Miles Brennan, who was a you know pretty big recruit, and would be the first big recruit quarterback recruit for LSU in a while that's actually gotten to sit and kind of develop. Mm-hmm. That was also part of the problem. Was for years it was like the new you know four star kid like Brandon Harris is playing as a true freshman and then starting as a true sophomore and and not sitting at all and. That was the big one when they acquired Burrow. The first thing I said, well, the best thing is that this guy's got two years to play. So that means all the guys behind him get that much more time to develop. And, and, you know, when he's done, we shouldn't be, unless something goes wrong, throwing another true freshman out there. So who's your favorite LSU alumni outside of sports? Is Shaq considered outside of sports now at this point? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Ooh, I don't know. We've got you know we've got some good ones. Uh, Bill Conti's really good. The guy who did the the Rocky score, uh, and and he's done a lot of good things for LSU. He's helped raise a lot of money. James Carville obviously is oh, incredibly right. entertaining. Defeated by Will Ferrell in the debate, though. So I mean, yeah, he was. I mean, look, he, sometimes you just black out. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I forgot about James Carville. He, I forgot he's a Louisiana uh, LSU guy. Man. Yeah. So um sort of staying on the topic of LSU and their stuff outside of football, is Neck a great college football song or is it the greatest college football song of all time? And why is it better than <laughs> Dixieland Delight? Oh God, at least at least the, the you know the sad thing is when that whole thing started, I kept saying, like, oh God, come up with a more creative chant. You know, any any, you know, middle school kid can yell, can yell to, to, you know, suck his dick or whatever, but it, it banning, it just gave it more life. You know, then you have the game where Odell Beckham shows up and is like, Hey, y'all play it. I'll pay the fine. <laughs> and that, that just gave it even more, 
energy and they played it they, the last time I think they played it during a game they did it at the very end of the upset over Georgia last year and one of uh, the, the big recruits in that class like said when the stadium came unglued that was like for that song it was, that was when he knew he had to come here so it, it's been it's been just kind of hilarious to see it, it take on its own its own life there it's something that I had never heard until LSU did it, and then now I hear. I feel like I hear every band do it, especially yep. in basketball games during during March Madness, and and I feel like that was 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 not something that you heard a lot a few years ago. And the irony being now that LSU does not play it and will not play it, and we actually got a, an angry email from the athletic department one time for suggesting that they were trying to to bring it back with you know a, a campaign to. "Quote unquote," clean up the language. <laughs> Man, that's it's such a good song, especially for athletics. And as far as how rowdy that fan base is, like, can you imagine if they played "Neck" at an Oklahoma football game and they heard the band and other youngsters sing? The olds would have heart dick. attacks. Like a hundred people God. would die of like heart disease, like in the game. Like I've oh, always wanted to go to Death Valley. Like Really? <laughs> my, yeah, my parents get mad. They're like, "Yo, shit, that, that's crude. There's, there's no reason to be vulgar like that, you know." And it's, it's so it's good. I, I do try to. T- I always try to say when when people ask me my thought about it, I'm like, "Well, I mean, here's the thing. You know what's going to happen? You can have the chant or you can have the song, but you can't have both, guys. That's just man. It, it's unfortunate, but that's how the administration's going to be." Like when I think of LSU football, I think of defense and neck and it's just a shame that one of them is just, you know, not fair. You can't do it anymore unless like Odell Beckham's willing to pay the fine. But, they might do it. It wouldn't surprise me if they did it at the Peach Bowl because it won't be at, at Tiger Stadium and true. there probably won't be quite a, it. Well, there, I'm sure there's going to be a pretty good LSU contingent. There may not be enough of the ones who are going to start that chant. Mm-hmm. So... Down in Louisiana, I've been down there a few times. Uh, I've been in New Orleans and then like in Hammond and Ponchatoula and stuff like that. And I've been in the bat, I've been to the Harley Davidson and Baton Rouge and all that good stuff. And I've had lots of gumbo and lots of other things. And so, what, what are your ideal protein ingredients for the best gumbo? And obviously, oh, there are a lot of variations there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, chicken and sausage is kind of the default, and it's easiest thing to do partly just because seafood can still be expensive especially if you if you're gonna do a good seafood gumbo you need to have shrimp and crab meat and all that kind of stuff and that just gets pricey like you gotta you gotta have nice company coming over for that mm-hmm. but um i also my, my hometown is known as the undue capital of the world and so therefore i'm actually kind of a snob about it so so you, you got to have the right kind of sausage for it to, to get that really good flavor now what are your drinks of choice before, during, and after an LSU game? Before, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'll, I'll confess to being a big craft beer guy, but for a, you know, a full day of tailgating, I, I grew up drinking Miller Lite, so that's usually just what we go with. That's what my dad drank. So it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you can't drink, you know, good heavy craft beer all day you'll you'll wind up needing a wheelbarrow to get to the stadium so usually usually a little bit of uh of light beer and then usually walking from our tailgate to the the game i usually pour myself a a, you know a couple fingers of bourbon on the rocks and drink that and 
I have a weird confession. One of the ways that I'm a bad LSU fan, I've never actually snuck booze in the Tiger Stadium. How is that possible? <laughs> well, you know, my dad got to put in the booth. Was, well, and that was the thing. My, my, my dad's thought process was always like, I'm, I'm used to the game to sober up. You know, we've been drinking all day. We're going to sober <laughs> up at the game. And then when I was a student, I worked for the, for a, you know, a local magazine up there. So I was in the press box. So uh, especially when okay. you're like 20, 21 years old and you're nervous around anybody that can remotely help you get a job after college, you're not going to be trying to, to sneak, you know, sneak pulls of a flask during the game. And then now it's kind of the same thing. It's like, I, I'm, I'm using the game to sober up. I've usually been drinking all day. And then even once they, the whole, like, Oh, they're selling beer in Tiger Stadium. I just remember thinking, man, y'all are really anxious to, to go pay 10 bucks for a, for a, a Miller light or a Bud light. Like mm-hmm. y'all can, they can have that. I'm, I'm, it's good. I'm, I'll be fine. But you know, I, I do think it's ridiculous that they, they don't let, people who want to have it have it though i think that's stupid but you know what else is new so who are your favorite lsu football players of all time and then who's your favorite ou football player of all time i see Oof, favorite lsu players um you know i'm gonna probably skew more towards my era of course and you know the first the first player that i was aware of as a real little kid was tommy hodson who was quarterback in the Late 80s, uh, he was four-time All-SEC, uh, didn't have much for pro crews, kind of a sawed-off dude, but still bounces around Louisiana. He was, of course, the quarterback for the earthquake game when, when he hit hit uh, Eddie Fuller on a fourth down to beat an undefeated Auburn team in, in the stadium registered as an earthquake. Uh, and then when I was in middle school, that's when Kevin Falk came out, and he was kind of a big transformational player for LSU. He was the first. It had been a, a streak of – you know, the best players in Louisiana kept leaving the state, guys like Peyton Manning and Warwick Dunn and, and all these great players, Ike Hilliard going to Florida, Ed Reed going to Miami, and Kevin Fox stays home to play for Jerry DiNardo, and it's just a big deal. And then, of course, he becomes an all-time great and, and one of the best running backs in, in school history and in SEC history. So there's him. And, you know, through my era in college, I was in college during the Saban era, so we had guys like I remember Michael Clayton was one of my favorites. Uh Corey Webster, who y'all probably remember, he had an interception against uh, Jason White in the Sugar Bowl in 04. Uh, mm-hmm. Great corner, great dude. He's from uh, one town over from where I grew up. Real nice guy, Marcus Spears, great dude. Had some classes with him, and it's been so much. I've really enjoyed seeing him kind of blossom on, on TV, on ESPN, and the SEC Network. <laughs> I mean, his segments after that Bama game this year were just completely priceless and, and will now live forever on the Internet. And then recent years, you know, Jamarcus Russell gets a bad rap because of his pro career, but he was damn fun to watch in in college. And he was the first LSU quarterback that I remember thinking, okay, we got him, we got a shot. Because he could just on any play do something and make the ball go 80 yards for a touchdown. It was almost like having, I guess what you guys have felt like having Adrian Peterson, where it's just like any play could just be a touchdown. It was like that was how it was with Jamarcus Russell. Uh, Jarvis Landry was a lot of fun. He was such a, a lunch pail, blue-collar guy, and I watched him a lot in high school. He was one of the first high school receivers I ever saw who wasn't this multi-purpose guy who also returned punts and kicks and, you know, got reverses. Like, no, he just went out there and caught 10 passes for 150 yards and three touchdowns every game on, on a team that didn't throw the ball a whole lot. Uh 
and then uh, you have to enjoy everything that's happened in, in the last 10 years and watching the transition to Ogeron and, and you know, you, a guy who you couldn't help but root for through the interim process, as sad as we were to, to lose less, you know, we kind of knew it was the time and watching him transition. And it's just been a lot of fun. Darius Geis was another fun one. And of course, Leonard Fournette, we, we Leonard Fournette was, a player that we knew about when he was a freshman in high school, you know, and it was one of those things that when we finally got to see him play in person, it was, it, that was like kind of a, wow, we are old because I kind of, we've been talking about this kid for four years now and, and worrying about every twist and turn in his recruitment. And then of course he was a great player for three years and probably should have gone to New York for the Heisman, you know, that year, but it was just wasn't meant to be. Do you have any OU football players that you have any favorites of? Uh, you know, Adrian Peterson was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Mark Clayton. I'll go real obscure. I remember watching Derek Strait a lot, and then oh, when we man. saw you guys in, in that in that uh, that Sugar Bowl. You know, and you guys had all these All Americans and all these these big name players, and he was the one guy that I was like, oh yeah, no, that guy's every bit as good as they say he is. You know, because we saw Mark Clayton kind of struggle with Corey Webster, and of course Jason White, whether he was hurt or, or whatever was going on, you know, he didn't he didn't really do much in that game. And you know, same thing with kind of with Tommy Harris and a lot of those big defensive linemen. But but Derek Strait was a player. Won the Thorpe that year. That's the last OU player to win the Thorpe, I think. But it was might be a while till we have another one. But. Special. He wasn't even that big either, was he? No, he wasn't. No, he was a. No, he I remember being surprised he didn't he didn't make it in the pros. I know he wasn't big, but I figured he'd be one of those guys that goes to like Tampa Bay and plays in the Tampa two and just makes a ton of tackles and mm-hmm. picks off easy passes. But man, Billy, thanks for coming on, and we're gonna you know visit again in probably next two weeks. But yeah, we'll have you or someone on your staff on and get a little more in the weeds with one hundred percent. So, but tell everybody where else they can find your stuff. Absolutely. Uh, well, and the Valley Shook dot com or. Right now, kind of getting into recruiting mode and, and kind of trying to process this whole Heisman thing. Because it's, you know, I, I knew if I, you know, I, I would see LSU make the playoff eventually. I knew I'd see LSU probably win another national championship. I honestly never thought we'd have a, a Heisman Trophy winner. And, and, you know, at this point, I would be completely stunned if he didn't win it. So that'll be a lot of fun. And it just, you know, Joe seems like a really good guy, and it's been a great story, and it's just been a great ride to watch him do something that, you know, I felt good about this offense. I, I never in my wildest dreams thought they would do what they have done this year. You know, I thought they'd, you know, they'd do well to average 34, 35 points a game, and, and, I, and, it's, and it's been fun trying to tell people, like, y'all, they may be really good next year and not this good again, so... <laughs> we we got to enjoy this while we have it. Yeah, man, it's I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's a uh, it's really nice to have Heisman quarterback play for four years straight. It's a little boring though. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Expectations get really high. <laughs> yeah. It's it imagine what, it what you get. It, it's crazy what you get spoiled by. <laughs> well, you're right. You're yeah. Right. But again, Billy, thanks for coming on. We'll definitely be in contact in the next two weeks, and we're excited for this game in about two and a half weeks. All right, Jack. So. Last night, Tuesday evening, everybody's getting ready for the bed routine, or some people are already in bed, depending on what job you have. Um, I was just, like, 
I don't even remember what I was doing. Oh, I, I woke up from a nap after watching something. And I saw people on Twitter going kind of crazy. And I was like, what is going on? And Lincoln Riley tweets out a pair of eyeball emojis nearly at 1040 at night, like 1036, I believe, on a Tuesday night. And just like, it's like, come on, you can't, you can't wait till the morning. Like, <laughs> you couldn't wait. So, and so. Very inconsiderate. There's a eyeball emojis. So now you have two uh, eyeball emojis unaccounted for. Because remember, he tweeted out two during, um, oh, when did he tweet out those two? Was it, it was like TCU a week game? or two before. I don't know. But it, it, it confused a few people because some people were like, is this two or is it three? And then yeah. you have one commitment that uh, Grimes, which wasn't an eyeball. Yeah, because that, that Grimes, happens sometimes. That Grimes thing happened so quickly, it was not in an eyeball emoji. So there are still two unaccounted for. And um, so see, these are some names to familiarize yourself with. There's just some names that are important in recruiting. And again, we're going to be defensive, and I think... So just to be clear, there we have two unaccounted for at this point. Yes, so. we do. And to think, you know, um, people have been, every time Oklahoma gets a commitment, if it's not a defensive player, like, well, I don't care. when. Why is Lincoln Riley recruiting so many wide receivers? And he don't need any more offensive linemen. Like, they don't understand depth. But it's just, I mean, to, the, to a certain extent, you start to wonder, like, well, when are they going to get these defensive players in? Cause, and we've been telling them to hold on the entire time because the ending is going to be a flourish. Yeah, because I mean, because you had Ryan Watts committed. You had Dante Manning committed at one point. And you're like, all right, this is looking, this is fantastic. And then they both leave. And you're like, okay, this is, this is not going the way we intended. And so let's talk about some players that are pretty hot on the market right now. Four-star quarterback Chandler Morris, uh, dad, just Chad, hired by Auburn. That Chad was Morris. very bad luck for Oklahoma, obviously. Yeah, because, I mean, Chandler Morris, from everything I've heard, was like, hey, during December 13th, which is the 11th, he will end up taking a visit to OU. And um, him and Lincoln Riley have been in very a lot, a lot of contact. And um, all of a sudden, apparently, it's uh, his dad gets hired as offensive coordinator over at Auburn. I made the mistake. I, me and Jack were texting back and forth. I said again, and he said what again, and I forgot that Chad Morris was the innovator of the Clemson Tiger offense, not the Auburn Tiger. Clemson offense. is basically just Auburn with a lake, so that's very understandable. So it would make sense that Chandler Morris will probably end up following his dad again um, to Auburn instead of Oklahoma, where we a lot of us had him penciled in at. So Oklahoma. Looks like they're gonna have to find a JUCO guy or maybe poach a, a quarterback in the in the spring or not spring, but in, in January, early February, uh, because it doesn't look like they'll be getting a high high caliber quarterback. You're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to convince Tanner Mordecai to stay. Basically, say hey, you get a chance in, at this quarterback duel, even though everybody knows that the next guy up is Spencer Rattler. You um, have to keep the charade going. And Cade Horton, he actually right from what I understand, is not even eligible to play right away because he's got some baseball stuff going on, but also, there, and there's some rules of that that I'm just not privy to, but he can't even play right now. He would have to sit out. So Oklahoma uh, would, would be in a world of pain if they did not have a Tanner Mordecai, and that, that's problematic. Of course, we all know why. So I think Oklahoma will end up poaching a guy, maybe, maybe even a Juco guy uh, that just wants a spot on a team, uh, but we'll see. But to what you guys are more interested in is defensive prospects. So let's start on the defensive line. 
Um, Oklahoma go- coaches went and saw Perry and Winfrey, the number one Juco player in the nation, by the way. Probably the presumptive starter at the nose tackle next year. He should be getting a lot of playing time. And there's been concerns with qualification. There's been con- some grade concerns with him. But, I mean, as far as what I've been told and what I've seen, um, he just has to wait on a couple other things, and he's good to go. And that's music to a lot of people's ears because, you know, if he couldn't pass those classes or couldn't get qualified, that would be a lot of big trouble for OU next yeah. year. And so Because they're losing their top three players to that position this oh, year. Oh, yeah, because you're losing a lot of depth in Famatau, uh, Q Overton, and Neville Gallimore. I mean – Jordan Kelly is a great guy. But uh, coming off of an injury. Coming off an injury. Corey Roberson or Robertson, don't, I'm not sure. Um, he They call him Baby Bull, but you don't know what he actually looks like. And so he, there's there's a lot of things to be had there, and you're not really sure. But Perry Winfrey would be a guy that would play a lot of minutes or a lot of snaps. Then you have Alfred Collins, four-star kid, is a defensive end, who in this, in this scheme might go inside. He's six foot five, two seventy five. I mean... Definitely has the frame to put on some more weight. Yo, 100%. And gone are the days of Oklahoma recruiting defensive linemen that are like six foot. Exactly. Six foot one. Um, Alex Grinch likes his defenders. Very lengthy, um, very flat-bellied, mobile, athletic freaks. And he fits the bill, too. He can move. Yeah. And like Alfred Collins, honestly, in, in an Alex Grinch defense, he only has to gain about 15, 20 pounds and he will be a fine nose tackle if he were to do that. And move to move inside with his quickness, it could get nasty real quick. Um, so Alfred Collins is a name to look at. The idea what here is that maybe he was trending towards Texas, but after Texas kind of fell apart, not only on the season but their entire coaching staff, he's been looking around elsewhere. But you know, people, it, it's still pretty foggy about where he's gonna go. Um, did you look? Did you get a chance to look at the man's tape? Oh yeah. What do you think? I mean, he's freaky. I mean, he's like he's really long, like we said. Yeah. He can move really well. He's explosive. That's another thing. That's one thing that he values, obviously, in his defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. So he, I mean, he's basically a prototypical Grinch defensive lineman, and he's athletic enough to play at the defensive end positions as well. But, like you said, he's got the frame to. Play oh, yeah. inside, so and that's where the need is, obviously. And there's another guy, a four-star prospect, Josh Ellison from Blinn College, who the number two JUCO DT in the country yes, behind guess who, Perry and Winfrey. Winfrey. Yeah, and he's six foot three, three hundred. He wouldn't have to add on any weight. And Josh Ellison, from what I've understood, from this from what I understood, is he is a an option, a backup option to. Alfred Collins not signing with the Sooners. And Alfred Collins... But been, both would be a take, correct? But yes, both would be a take. They'd make room regardless. But uh, right now they're sitting at 25 and um, available. So you have several guys that can commit right now. And they can process guys in the spring. They're not worried about any of that. And Josh Ellison, he's a backup option to Alfred Collins. But he's still good, 6'3", uh, 300. Um, you're gonna, I, I can see this class being, you know... Taking some JUCOs for the middle of that that defensive line until you get some four-year guys in, really developing them. That way you can spell Jordan Kelly and whoever else. You know, Marcus Stripling's big enough maybe to play inside, but you probably don't want him at the nose. So there's a lot of guys going in. Um, 
you should probably feel good about one of these two guys. If you, if both, then Oklahoma's in for a wonderful early Christmas next week. But you can count on Alfred Collins or Josh Ellison probably being in the fold for the Sooners. Now, let's talk about some defensive backs because it has been a trip. Dante Manning, once committed to OU, no longer committed to OU. Uh, then of, a presumed commit for several months. Yeah, and, and then they, they And then now things are getting hairy. Heating up again, heating up again. They just had an in-home. Seemingly didn't go too great, from what I understand. Um, and Roy Manning tweets some mysterious tweet, some mysterious message that says, you know, uh, streets are, he's recruiting streets are crazy these days, something like that, and um, pretty, pretty weird. He's like, study long, study wrong, or something like that. It was a weird, vague tweet regarding that. And um, Georgia has gotten a Dante Manning. I'm not saying with a bagman or anything. I'm just saying they're in his ear. And, I mean, if a big defensive team comes calling and you're Of course, Dante they Manning, have a recent history of producing people at that position you, and sending them to the NFL. You have to listen. And <coughs> so now we're like, is Dante Manning f- flighty? Like, it was OU, then OU. A&M, then somewhere else, now back to OU, oh, now Georgia. So it's like, do you really want a guy that's really not that committed, but at the same time, if all these high-profile schools are seeking out his services, it's probably a take regardless. He's someone who wouldn't be considered a starter right off the bat because you have Trey Brown and Jaden Davis coming back next year, but he's someone who you could see getting meaningful snaps and being sort of in the rotation at cornerback. He's that good right off the bat. Oh, yeah, he's special. He's good. And... The next guy is something that just really happened today. Yeah. Four-star corner, uh, four-star safety, excuse me, Major Burns. He Someone just, who was formerly eyes for Oklahoma as well. Yes, a former set of eyes for Lincoln Riley. This is where he learned that, you know what, maybe probably shouldn't. Maybe wait. Maybe shouldn't set the eyeball emojis, you know, two weeks out. Major Burns w- was a set of eyeball emojis. I'm not saying he's part of the two, but he just decommitted from LSU as a part of a trap door situation where LSU says, yeah, you know, we're going for this other guy and flipping him. We don't have room for you anymore. And so he got trap doored. And so he's back on the market. And you look at him and say, hey, you were once technically, unofficially committed to Oklahoma. I'm I'm not saying Oklahoma's getting going to get back in the mix on this, but I'm saying it would make a lot of sense. If it would be a spring signing case. if it happened, yes. wouldn't you think? I uh, 100%. There's no way he's going to make a rash decision over a week and a half. But it's uh, he's back on the market, and I wouldn't say Oklahoma... I'm not going to say Oklahoma wouldn't get involved. I'm not going to say they would. But with prior history, you would think, yeah, under Lincoln's policy of getting involved and staying involved with guys, they will probably revisit that. Now, it wouldn't surprise me at all. As, uh, hence, OU's success this year on the defensive end because a lot of these defensive guys have been taking a wait-and-see approach to this defense, which has more than surpassed expectations. I mean, like, LSU. You want to talk about LSUs, and they're known for their their, their defense, and they are nowhere, no more special than OU's defenses this year. Oklahoma's number 36 in defensive S&P. That's incredible. Absolutely. Uh, Let's see where LSU is. LSU is 19th. They've they've gone up a little bit, but they've been playing bad defenses in, yeah. or bad offenses in recent yeah, weeks. Yeah, so. Georgia, who just learned how to forward pass. And it's just like, you know, Oklahoma's turnaround on defense is making a lot of this so much easier. Joshua Eaton, formerly 
Texas commit or formerly Texas lean. I don't remember. Yeah, he committed. He was right. committed, he yeah. Cornerback, six foot two, one seventy five, the prototypical again. Alex Grinch defensive back. Um, enormous, enormous upside. Massive guy. Uh, I would feel very comfortable in understanding that he would end up signing with the Sooners on National Signing Day in, in, in December, maybe. But I think he might want to wait till February. I think that's I think that's when he's going to announce is in February. So I don't think it's going to be a spring semester guy. Um, but still, very high upside. The guy's massive. He's the next evolution of what Alex Grinch wants to do because you look at him, and then you're going to go over there and look at Trey Brown. I mean, it's, it it shows. Yeah. Kendall Dennis. This is a guy that has come out of what I think is the Dante Manning situation of, you know, he, Dante Manning has definitely cooled off on the Sooners. And Kendall Dennis, Clemson, I guess, decided to, from what, what you were saying to me, maybe flip another defensive back. Yeah. Yes. And Dennis really. Sort of like without being committed a similar situation to Major Burns, essentially. Yeah. And Dennis, he's a Lakeland, Florida product. Lakeland is a massive program in the state of Florida. And Dennis has been flown under the radar. He's six foot, 175. For the Sooners, anyways, flown, flown under the radar for fans that may be following recruiting. And he's a name that I would get to be very familiar with. Uh, the guy plays on the line of scrimmage. He's always got his eyes toward the ball. Uh, something that you really want, again, in this defense. He's a special kid. He wouldn't start right away. Uh, but he would definitely develop into something pretty good, pretty special, just like any of these defensive backs we're talking about. Did you get a chance to look at Kendall and his film? Yes, he's extremely, extremely speedy. <laughs> he's yeah. he's a, a legit like, four four five probably guy, maybe four four. He can he's, move. He's fast. He in exclusively plays the line of scrimmage. Exclusively plays the line of scrimmage, and is, has the capability for catch up speed if he does get beaten off the line. And again. His eyes are always towards the ball, and that's what you're looking at for these defensive backs. No more face guarding for the Oklahoma defense. They're playing for the ball, and that's a one of the, that's a big reason, honestly, what led to Oklahoma in the Baylor game. What led to the, a massive pass for the Bears was because I think Delarian Turney, no, it was Patrick Fields. Patrick Fields was playing the ball instead of playing the man, which led to Baylor catching a ball and getting 60 yards downfield. So these guys are always looking for the ball, and you got to appreciate that. But like I would say, I would keep my eyes on Kendall Dennis over the next week and a half. And then we've talked about Justin Harrington before. Four-star kid, uh, Juco guy out of Bakersfield College in California. Talk about this nickelback. Buki is like what, 5'9", 5'10"? Generously, yeah, five, five nine generously, and he's around one seventy something because he is pretty built, and that's including his hair. And talk about this nickelback, Justin Harrington. He's a safety, but he, he would play nickelback in an Oklahoma defense. Six foot three, two hundred and fourteen pounds, and can lay the boom. Can lay the boom. Can cover. That, that's a nickelback. Charlie Brewer does not knock out. Justin Harrington. No, he does not. Justin Harrington demolishes Charlie Brewer, and that's the end of the game. Like, and again, this guy, his films, you can tell his film on Huddle is a little bit sped up. Referees don't run that fast. 
But um, <laughs> funny gosh, how that works. This guy, uh, he can play middle field safety. Uh, something that will you thought Will Sunderland might be able to do. Um, he can play zone, and he can definitely lay the wood on guys. And it's just it's impressive. So I would get to know many of these defensive players very well because uh, I would say probably a handful of them will be wearing crimson and cream next year. Um, so. It's you know it's early Christmas for Alex Grinch you know uh, on early National Signing Day and then extra Christmas in February when they do get some more surprise guys but yeah recruiting defensive recruiting is the name of the game right now and it is good for Oklahoma because of that performance they put on this year I mean making four out of five cultural playoffs only helps even more absolutely how could it not it's yeah. not like Texas fans who are trying to argue that uh. Winning the Texas Bowl and winning the Sugar Bowl are more of a point of pride than yeah. making the college football playoff. Yeah, Oklahoma. They're devolving into Aggies. I've Oklahoma's been saying this gonna... after a shitty decade of football. Oklahoma losing it's that last rotting game their brain. of the season. Yeah, well, at least we win our last game of the season. We get to laugh at Oklahoma losing last game. Like, what are you talking about? Like, did you not realize your team shouldn't even be in a bowl game right now? They should have lost Texas to Texas fans have lost all any shred of dignity. And they're tweeting out like, well, our logo is one of the most recognizable logos. Like, dude, you are really to that point. You are really to that point. You are reaching. You'll love to see it. You'll love to see it. Uh, college football playoff. How about the amount of disrespect Oklahoma is getting? Is or was getting. I mean, it doesn't really matter anymore because they're in the playoff. But. Do they deserve it? The disrespect they were getting? No, of course not. People were trying to knock their defense, and then you saw what their defense was capable of on Saturday. And they were flashing that the last month as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no excuse to not know it, other than, you know, not watching the game, like, straight up. And the amount of respect that was given to Utah prior to this week was absurd, and we were saying this last week. Yep. They didn't beat anyone prior to playing in the Pac-12 championship game. They played one decent team in USC— got beat by their third-string quarterback. Mm -hmm. And then people are like, wow, they're being dominated on the ground by Oregon? Weird how that happens once you finally play a team with athletes. Yeah. The only non-7-5 team you have played, you get your ass whipped on national TV. And everybody's like, yep. I saw that one coming from a mile away. Of course. And I picked Oregon. You picked Oregon, I think, on the podcast. Yep. Did you see that graphic that came out? It was with SpongeBob characters and OU as Patrick, where he's they like you have Clemson. I thought that was kind of funny, but I thought it was like so disrespectful. I was like, wow, like it's fine. Like I get it. Like the other guys are thirteen and zero, Oklahoma's twelve and one, and they're like, well, I have three number ones, and well, Oklahoma just kind of lucked into the playoff. That's actually how announcers were kind of treating it. I was kind of offended for the guy. If you're Oklahoma, you have no shortage of bulletin board material going well, that, to this that game. part is true, yes. 100%. And the committee mentions that, they say they mentioned just single a singular thought, maybe for a minute, maybe for not even a minute, maybe for just a couple moments, and said they mentioned, they thought about putting number four Georgia, who, had, who was just ranked number four and been obliterated by LSU on national TV, over the Sooners, Still at number four um, they, uh, for the cultural okay. playoff. They were not legitimately considering Georgia at number then four. Then why mention it? Because it's a PR thing. They're sort of trying to uh, 
appeal to every single person saying, you know what, look, we were considering every single team. If, if you had asked them if they, were, they would have considered Wisconsin with two losses if they'd beaten Ohio State, they would have said yes, even though it wasn't necessarily true, just to sort of suck up to Wisconsin. It's sort of like an old method of public yeah. relations where being sort of overly political with this stuff it's a lot of like older dudes who kind of do this and they it doesn't really translate well to the social media area. Like acting that way is counterproductive in this day and age yeah. when people can react instantly. But just like really? They end up as number five in the final college football playoff poll? Georgia does? Well, who else would you put at number five? Not the team that's got their ass kicked. Yeah, but who would you put at number five? I don't know. I'd put Georgia at number five. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like after that, like there was a, there was like a massive. I mean, I put them ahead of Florida. I put them ahead of Alabama. I put them ahead of Auburn. I put them ahead of Wisconsin. I put them ahead of Minnesota. I mean, it, it's that part of it was reasonable, but I just didn't want to see that happen. Oh, of course not. And nobody else played, so I get it. But come on, like then we one spot, just like I don't know, moving back to six. I don't know. See, I'd maybe put Oregon at number five over them. There you go. That's what I'm saying. They yeah. just beat a top five, top. Top five Even team. though they were shitty all along, still they God, should get credit for that their win. Their quarterback was so their quarter. What's his name? Herbert for Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Has he been bad this entire year, or did Utah just make him look bad? I haven't watched. He's him. never really flashed that much. I mean, he was really good against USC in that one game, and obviously he's a talented kid, Gosh. and he's probably going to make a lot of money next year. Trey but... Matwire flashed more than Herbert did on that last <laughs> Saturday. It's just like. And maybe, and maybe it was a Friday. Maybe it's because it was a Friday game. Damn it, but, dude. But just, <laughs> that was a trench coat joke. Oh, God. Uh, I didn't get it. But it's just like, come on. Uh, and, man, he wasn't even good. And Utah still got their ass kicked and handed to them. It, it was impressive, really. Uh, but I don't think they had anything taken off because it was a Friday game. Remember that? They that was absurd. A Friday game. Who was for another Friday game? Got to get dock on points with your body clock. Shut up. It's, it's so dumb. Should the playoff expand to eight after seeing really this conference conference championship game settle a lot of stuff, you know, one through eight? Or should they just expand to eight because it really kind of keeps out non-Power 5 conferences? See, I mean, people are trying to argue that moving it to eight would cheapen the regular season. I disagree because the conference championship races would be even more intriguing and more teams would, you know, have a lot of a uh, rooting interest down the stretch. Don't you think? Yeah, I agree. So there you go. And I, yeah, I, I understand. Plus, agree. I mean, you could have home sites for the first round, which would be really fun. And money makers for the teams that did really well. And then you'd let one group of five team in and they would, you know, be, shut up essentially they'd get owned and then they wouldn't have anything to complain about they wouldn't have ucf uh, putting up a banner or some shit be kind of nice then you'd have two spots one of which would be presumably reserved for a one loss or undefeated notre dame Mm -hmm. and then one other really good non-champion i mean i feel like it would just work perfectly and there would obviously be plenty of fan intrigue we'd all tune into it three consecutive weeks the coaching carousel right now, though, is in full effect with Lane, the Lane train, Lane Kiffin at Love Ole it. Miss. Love it. And Pittman at Arkansas, which is the most Arkansas head coach I've seen Pittman, in a it, long time. That is the head hog if I have ever seen one. He just looks like an Arkansas head coach. Absolutely. He's from Grove, Oklahoma, too, which is not really? far from Fayetteville at all, obviously. That doesn't surprise me. I recently just found out 
today, one of my former students from like five, six, he was my actually my first year teaching from six years ago. That's his great uncle. Really? And I was like, yeah, I got angry. I said, why didn't you tell me? And he's like, I don't know. I was like, that's some, that's a bullshit, dude. Like, <laughs> that would have been nice to know while you were in my class. Like, oh, yeah, my. They discovered the way, your podcast, by yeah, the way, didn't they? They, yeah, God. I said, well, at least give us five star reviews, please. <laughs> but they listened to it and then they asked me questions about it in class. And, you know, one of their school projects, they can make a podcast. So they want to use this stuff. Oh, there you go. They could use us as a good example. Yeah, they could. <laughs> they should not do that. Don't, don't. Um, Tom Herman. I was thinking about it over the weekend, a little, a little more in depth. And really, I was thinking if you give Lincoln Riley and his staff, if you give them a hold of what Texas has, particularly um, on defense, personnel wise, offensively and years. defensively, that they can they they probably compete for a Big Twelve title again. And Tom Herman just beats the hell out of these guys, and they. Seven and six, ten and four, seven and six. Uh, is Tom Herman a bottom two or three head coach in the Big Twelve? I I I state like you remember this a couple months ago. I stated that he there's a very real case for him being the worst coach in the Big Twelve, and I think bottom three is very reasonable because because of what he does with that talent, which is very little. Top three, I go Riley, Rule, Campbell. Yeah. Yeah, that's an easy top three. And then I've got Patterson. Who after that? Gundy, probably. Gundy? Yeah. Cause, and he's beaten Herman more than his fair share of time. Neil Brown at West Virginia. The job he did with that shitty team, getting them to five and seven. Give me... Beating l- Kansas State and TCU. Give me Les Miles and Neil Brown. Yeah. Matt, I'm impressed by Matt Wells. Matt Wells, too. I mean, if they had Alan Bowman, they might be a six and six team. If they had Alan Bowman, they would have beaten probably Texas. Probably, I agree. So you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We eight. didn't even talk about Kleiman either. Oh, Kleiman's fantastic. So Tom Herman's the worst coach in the Big Twelve. <laughs> Jeez, that's it's unbelievable. true. That's unbelievable. It's crazy. Because Matt Wells overachieved with that Texas Tech team, even though they didn't have a winning season. If he has Alan Bowman, they win seven games. Uh, Neil Brown, who at Big 12 Media Days said nothing special, was basically like, please have patience with us. We're not very good. Overachieved with that team. He knew what he was doing. And, I mean, Gundy is Gundy. Less Miles, oh my goodness, should have beat Texas. And you could tell they're on an upward trajectory. Uh, they, they're going to be good next year and the years after. They had seniors on that Kansas team that said, I wish I had another year with this staff because you guys are going to do great things next year and the year after. They and probably wanted to get the hell out while they had David Beatty. Yeah, there too. and it's true. And it's like, man, you you want to play for a coach like that. That puts you in a position for success. And we're left at Tom Herman with number 10. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. Headbutts his players with their helmets on. That's what you get. Mensa member. Mensa. That's how we got his membership. You know, Oklahoma's 113 of. The last twenty Big Twelve titles since two thousand, pretty crazy. That's over. That's sixty five percent. And if you're in another, if you are on another team, there's only seven times in the last twenty years you've had a chance to call yourself a champion. In the last twenty years, there are ten to 
12 teams because of the conference shift that could have had a chance to wear a ring. And only seven of those 20 teams since 2000 have had a chance to call themselves champions. And no player on this OU roster that it's been there for three years has ever left the, the Sooners football team to go to the draft or whatever. They, nobody's ever left Oklahoma without calling themselves a Big 12 title champion. Pretty crazy. I mean, and you have redshirt seniors. Mm-hmm. Five in a row. Who have five rings. Nick, Nick Basquin has five rings. And he caught his first touchdown pass since two years ago. And it was an over-the-shoulder, back-shoulder. Actually, back, a very good ball from Hurts on that Back-shoulder, nice adjustment by Basquin. In- impressive. And it's just like... When we were wondering if he was going to have his full movement this year after all of those injuries. Yeah. And, and he did. Because he looked sort of slow towards the end of last year. He did. He's he, He's been full go the entire year. And so you have to sit back and just think, okay, yeah, th- we're pretty spoiled about like 13 out of 20, 65% since 2000, you've owned the Big 12. Texas has, Oklahoma's won five in a row. Texas has won three since the beginning of the Big 12. Like, are you kidding me? That's impressive. It, it, it's it's just a staggering st- it's a staggering stat that I, I just was thinking about. It, it says a lot about OU. It says a different thing about the rest of the conference. It's true. It says it says most about Texas, probably, mm-hmm. if we're being real here. And let's talk about Trey Brown making possibly the biggest play in both conference championship games back-to-back. One was more tide-turning, of course, the sack on Ellinger and uh, the safety. But, man, did he save Oklahoma's ass by running... Using his 4-3, Getting up to 23.3 miles an hour, which he was clocked at. Oh, that's what it was? Yes. <laughs> he and can Platt run. is a track guy, too. And he was up to like 21.5, I believe. Yeah. But it's crazy because Brown's uh, path was obstructed at one point mm-hmm. by Pat Fields. And he had to go around him. And that, uh, you know, slowed down his momentum a little bit. And he still was able to get up to that speed and cr- catch Platt, which is incredible. Like... I thought he was going to get the strip, too. I, I was watching uh, in that corner of the end zone. I thought he was going to try to punch it out, mm-hmm. but I, I couldn't quite get around to it. But he did try to strip it on the way down, but just, wasn't able to do it. And that's the Still difference. incredible. That's the difference between a Mike Stoops defense and Alex Grinch defense. Last year's defense, year before that, and the year before that, they're just like, well, got beat, sorry. let him, And they jog for the last 15 yards. Yep, none of that. Trey Brown says, no, nah, i got to go get this guy because we're about to dominate this offense again. He knew he'd get chewed out if he didn't, too. Because there's right. a new man in charge on defense. And so he goes and hauls him down at the 13-yard line or whatever, and you're thinking, oh, man, well, oh, he's played tight defense all day, and now instead of 80 yards in front of him, they only have 13. We'll see if they can stop us. And, of course, Oklahoma did force a field goal. Had a chance at a win in, in regulation, and then of course they took care of it in overtime. It's just that's a that's it's just so indicative of the change that's taken place at Oklahoma on defense. It's 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 so welcome here. Um, Demetric Warren, man, but you were gone. Were you, were you in California? What yeah, was? yeah, I was. Um, we we had him on the podcast a while ago. Just this to talk was like about, in August. Yeah, just to talk about what he thought about the Sooners coming into the season and. This man says preseason, he thinks it was OU's time to win a title, and I had no faith that Oklahoma would even do such things because they were replacing a Heisman quarterback with the best offensive line like ever. And um, 
here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. About to embark on another college football playoff experience. It's a uh, man. It, it's we're spoiled, man. It really. We've got another Heisman finalist. Yeah, J- Jalen going to New York again. Uh, uh, another senior quarterback going to New York. It's just crazy. Can't can't believe it. It's you, there's a, you're at a loss for words at some point. And being able to replace four offensive linemen, having the injury to Caleb Kelly, Calcaterra, Calcaterra, pretty crazy. Yeah, it's speechless. Just wait for this next year, though. The narrative nationally heading into the season by the less informed folks are going to be like, what is Oklahoma going to do at quarterback after these last three Heisman finalists? We had some of that uh, coming into the year. Yep. People who just, I guess, don't do their homework and don't know who Spencer Rattler is. Yep. He has as much upside as any quarterback Oklahoma's had over this stretch. I mean, probably the, more. Yeah, the offense. More arm talent. More arm talent even than Kyler Murray, which is insane. The offense. Um, is going to be better next year. Is going to be more dynamic. There are going to be a lot more things you can do with that offense. Because the offense, I mean, you could see how limited it was against Baylor. Yeah. I wasn't confident on any given possession that they were going to march down the field. I agree. Next year, that's not going to be the case. That's true. Oklahoma's offense is going to be dynamic next year, and their defense, well, another year under Alex Grinch, should be pretty salty. Uh, maybe not as salty if Kenneth Murray decides to go pro, but... Which, s- presumably, he will. Still a lot better than what yeah, we've seen over the past three years. Uh, but, man, it's it's been it's been a ride. Not over yet. We still got possibly two games left, so or an extra game after this one, so... Who knows? But what are your plans for this weekend? There's no, there's no OU game. Well, covering the Heisman ceremony and stuff okay. like that. I mean, knowing that your guy isn't going to win makes it a little less demanding. But then you, you know, we got a little bit of basketball on Saturday. I'm thinking about going to Wichita actually. OU Wichita State. We'll see. Wichita State just waxed OSU. Yeah, they, they're looking get, good. In a their only loss is to West Virginia, but West Virginia will randomly beat people just if their press works and they get calls. So, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? But I mean, yeah, it's going to be a really tough one. It's at that downtown arena, too. It's not on their campus okay. arena. Okay. Which is, I was there two years ago when Trey Young and Manic and them went up there and uh, whooped them somehow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, it is an electric atmosphere in that building. It, it's it's really something to behold. They sell that place out every time they play in that of arena. Course. It seats like 15,000, I think. In Wichita State. It's they, impressive. They still find players year in and year out. Austin Reeves is going to get booed like no oh, other. Yeah. But it'll be good for the Sooners, I feel like. They're, they're coming together, and, man... They know how to win close ones. I'll give them yeah, that. They know real. how to make it interesting. Ugh. And Christian Doolittle, the amount of growth he's had since a, oh, as yeah. a freshman, it's impressive. Just his step-back mid-range game, like, are you kidding me? I didn't expect... I, I knew Reeves was going to be really good. I knew he was a really good shooter. I didn't expect him to be the alpha that he is this year. Yep. That's what I've been impressed by. And the ball handling skills and everything else that comes with it, but... Yeah, I'm going to be doing the same thing this weekend, watching some basketball, watching some Heisman Trophy ceremony, and that's that's really it. It's kind of scouting LSU, really, watching some of their film. Shout out to my buddy who's in here from California. I'm going to have to show him what he's been missing in Oklahoma City this weekend. Might mm-hmm. have to get a little drunk. We'll see. It's going to be a good time, but you have anything Might else? have to take him to Riverwind. Oh, you been to Riverwind in a while? I went there just the other day. Riverwind, were you in school when they gave you the $10 voucher to gamble as much as you wanted? No. You weren't in school for that? No. Maybe they quit doing that because they were... Most kids would just get the $10 and you can cash it in immediately. 
And so kids would just go get get 10 bucks for beer money. I think they assumed that, oh, these kids are going to stay and gamble. No, they usually didn't. They usually just took the money, so they stopped doing it, I guess. But that was pretty sweet. (laughs) Sounds I do like me some Riverwind. Yeah. This is not a sponsored thing, by the way. I'm just saying it. It's not. But, uh, yeah, that's all I have. You got anything else? That's about it. All right, guys. Well, hey. Are you going to Atlanta, by the way? I'm not going, man. Not You're not going. going. I don't know if I'm going either. I'm not sure. I'm gonna do a post though because I lived there for 11 months. Okay. Give people some recommendations on where to go. First off, What's the Porter idea? Beer Bar. Fantastic. It's like 800 beers. It's like the highest reviewed beer bar on Yelp. It's fantastic. Sounds like a good time. Then there's uh, the Claremont Lounge. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Claremont Lounge. Uh, Anthony Bourdain, RIP, went there. With uh, he went there with Alton Brown actually. I've actually, never been to Atlanta. You haven't? Nope. Okay, the Claremont Lounge, it's ba- it, it's technically a gentleman's club, but it's really just a really big, fun dive bar, probably the most fun dive bar in the world, that just so happens to have exotic dancers in there. And they come of all shapes, sizes, and age range. And there's one who crashes beer cans with her boobs. It's pretty cool. It's a fun place. I definitely recommend it for any OU fan. Also, to eat. Mary Max Tea Room, really great place for lunch, really good fried chicken. Paul Johnson went there for lunch all the time when I was there. Hmm. Really good place. So, those are the three early recommendations for Atlanta. Oh, my Atlanta, very good. So, there you guys go. If you're traveling to Atlanta in a week and a half, or two, two and a half weeks, and when we talk to... You're going to be outnumbered by LSU fans and hearing oh, Tiger Bay, but whatever. 100%, but it'll, it'll be good. You it'll get to see good. that new stadium, too. 100%. But, hey, guys, false on CrimsonandCreamMachine.com. Lots of stuff every single day, and it's always good. And we have a lot of guys that contribute, and they're wonderful people. And follow Jack on Twitter, at CCMachine, or at his personal one, at JLarryShields. I'm on Robbie and CCM. Um, guys, again, you're on, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, oh, Alan, Blade Homerism, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Google Play Podcasts. If you just have an iPhone, just go to the Purple Podcast app, and all you have to do is tap five on the stars, and simple as that. It's a lot more. A, or leave us a nice review yeah, if you want to. There's 70 reviews. Our egos enjoy that. 70 ratings and over 1,000, 1,500 downloads a week. So we know you guys are listening. So, again, thanks for you guys for listening. We really appreciate you guys. We head to the holiday seasons, and we'll check you, check you guys later.